Right. I hope you have a Bible with you this morning. We're going to use it eventually. Uh, we're, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. But uh, first, uh, this weekend is what? Labor Day weekend. What is Labor Day a celebration of? Work and labor and toil. And you know, the silliest thing in the world, to celebrate work, we get a day off. Doesn't it seem like on Labor Day you should have to work a double shift and not get paid for it? I, I mean, that if we're celebrating labor, that's what you do. So that's what I told Benjamin and Megan, and they said, no, the office is closed tomorrow. Uh, no. Uh, it, we, we celebrate labor, but we also enjoy a break from our labor. And God has given us the opportunity and the obligation to serve Him and to labor. We are called to be faithful. That's God's plan for our lives. And on July 23rd, we looked at avoiding laziness and procrastination. We were doing a series on sins that we should avoid or sins that we hide, but we should avoid. And uh, in that message, we looked at on a perfect day, in a perfect place, with fully mature minds and bodies, God told Adam and Eve to go work in the garden. Labor and toil has been part of God's plan for humanity from the beginning. Honest work is honorable forever. Uh, our memory verses for September, Colossians 3, 23 and 4. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Uh, that word heartily means with your whole being. It actually comes from a root of a word, the Greek word, comes from a root that means breath till you're breathless. So do it till you're, till you're breathless. Now, admittedly, the older you get, the less work that is, right? You can get out of your chair and you have to catch <laughs> your breath, right? Uh, but, but when you're young, do it till you're breathless, work and labor and toil. And, and there's a joy to going to bed exhausted because you've done something that helped people, that ministered, that made a difference. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Don't do it just so people can notice. How many of you have worked with people who when the boss is around, they work like crazy? When the boss is not, they shirk. Yeah, we all have worked with people like that. Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you were that person? Don't raise your hand on that. Uh, hopefully you got over that, outgrew that. Uh, and he says, knowing that of the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. There's a reward. One of the reasons why people go to work is for what? Why do they work? So they get money. money. Uh, get a paycheck. You know, money's really, really helpful when you want to buy food, pay rent, buy clothes. Money comes in handy. Yeah, but uh, some people obsess over money, and we shouldn't do that. But we work so that we can get a little money. I don't know anybody who loves their job so much that they could afford to stay on the job even if they didn't get paid, unless they're already retired. Uh, they work so they can get that money. Well, we work and we labor, and we have an eternal reward waiting for us from the Lord in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote about our call to stewardship, that we are uh, assigned to care for the rights, of uh, the property, the privileges of another. We are, as stewards, Whose property and rights are we assigned to pursue? 
God, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his stewards. We serve under him. Every one of us does. I mean, we know we say Jesus is the, the shepherd of the church and the pastor is the under shepherd, but all of us are under the shepherd of Jesus Christ. Every one of us uh, is a steward of Jesus Christ. He has assigned us tasks. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, let, no, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of the gospel. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we're celebrating Labor Day weekend and we're celebrating the fact that we are supposed to be faithful workers for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's commissioned us to do. And in Mark, the Lord tells uh, a story of the level of commitment that we should have. We are called to be faithful. And here's the level of commitment that we should have following the Lord. We're going to read as an introduction beginning in verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, that means while he was walking, not, oh, by the way, but while they were walking along the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, whom do men say that I am? I'm in Mark chapter 8, in verse 27. Does that help? Okay, did I not tell you the verse? I didn't tell you the chapter. You should have known. Mark 8, verse 27. Pick a chapter. Okay. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. If I said Mark verse 27, just pick a chapter, right? All right. Jesus went out, his disciples, into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Now notice the towns. There's towns around. Like we call the valley Phoenix. We have friends who were from Mesa, lifelong Mesa residents. And they would get offended when you called the valley Phoenix because there's different cities, and we're not part of Phoenix, we're part of Mason. I'd just say, isn't that East Phoenix? You know. um, but the, the region around Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, while they were walking along the way, he asked his disciples, saying to them, whom do men say that I am? Now, Mark 8, 28, and they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. But he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Let's pause right here for just a minute. Jesus set a high and holy standard for his followers. And he's going to spell it out for us today. Uh, in verse 27 and 8, people do not understand who Jesus is. Most of the people today, if you ask them, who is Jesus, what would they say? He's a good man. He's a prophet. Some might say he's the son of God. Some might say he was the baby born in Bethlehem. See, our world, they actually love talking about baby Jesus at Christmas. Even people who don't really believe in God, they, they don't mind you talking about baby Jesus. Um, they love talking about God is love. Jesus, the one whose name is love. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Jesus. But that's only part of Jesus. They don't want to talk about the real Jesus, 
They don't want to talk to the, about the Jesus who rebuked people for their false beliefs, who overturned tables in the temple for their false worship. They don't want to talk about Jesus who's going to come and rule and reign. Jesus who's going to be the final and ultimate judge before whom every person, living or dead, will stand before Jesus and be judged. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the one who is who is uh, uh, omnipresent, who is omnipotent. They don't want to talk about the one who is sovereign and the one who notices everything, even the sin you keep hidden on the inside because he looks all the way to the heart. They don't want to talk about that, Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus, even most of the people who gather together on a Sunday, who worship and say they are following Jesus, they aren't following the one true Jesus. They aren't following the one who is God the Son and the Son of God. They aren't following the one who spoke creation into existence and then was born as a baby. We need to understand who Jesus is. And Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said in verse 29, we understand you're the Christ. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, uh, the one who uh, was prophesied from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, God prophesied who would come, the seed of the woman. And then all through scriptures prophesied, uh, all through the Old Testament pointing toward the Christ who would come the anointed one who would come, and he came. And the, he is the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who will be the final judge. He is the son of God. He is God the son. He is the one when we get to heaven, he will be the fullness of the Godhead that we see visibly bodily because he is the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians 1 says. And we are complete in him and only in him. Some people think, oh, their life will be complete if they just get married. And right, I mean, those of you who got married, all your problems went away as soon as you got married, right? <laughs> okay. all right, what about when you had kids? Had Jim Reeves raised his hand. He said Jerry told him to. Um, <laughs> uh, how many of you think, oh, man, my wife will, life will just be complete if I have kids? And you had kids, and man, everything was great, right? No problem. Slept through the night every day. No. Your life is complete only in Jesus Christ. So Peter said, thou art the Christ. And then in verse 30, Jesus charged them that they should tell no man of him. He wasn't ready to reveal himself in his fullness yet. Verse 31. And he began to teach to them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. See, when we love every part about Jesus' message except the suffering part. Right? We love uh, to be called. We love to be forgiven. We love to be adopted into the family. I have a little brother who is adopted, and 
and uh, my mom flew out to California and spent several weeks with his birth mother, um, letting him get to know her. And the first week, mom was just a guest in the home, and the second week, she was there a lot. And the third week, he spent more time with my mom and less with his biological mom, and then, then she, he came home. And uh, I remember when we were picking him up at the airport, because uh, it was a single mother who was a, a distant relative in the family. And when he, mom came home, we picked her up at the airport, picked him up at the airport, and my dad went and picked him up. And he was just a little guy, three, right? He was three. She knows everything. Uh, he was three years old, and, and uh, dad picked him up, and he looked at him and said, who are you? And my dad said, I'm going to be your new daddy. And hit Don's face lit up, and he said, I'm going to have a daddy and he threw his arms around my dad's neck, and, and there was a joy. And he loved being part of a family. And, and we even forget that he's adopted. He, they're, they're just, he actually is more like my dad than any of the boys. And, and, and we interact, and, and we hang out, and we have fun, and, and it's just a non-issue because he became family. He was assimilated, right? Oh. Somebody get that. But, but he became family and, and connected, and, and that's how God made us part of his family. And he brought us in, and he connected us. And, and we love the fact that Jesus did all that for us. But, but that suffering part, um, we're, we're not so good with. And, but you and I, like Jesus, need to live for God's glory and glory in heaven. And like Jesus, we need to realize that the process of getting from here to there may well be very difficult and very painful. Jesus told him he was going to suffer. And he spake the saying openly, verse 32 in the middle of the verse, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he, Jesus, turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me. What's that next word? Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You see, uh, if we do not follow Jesus, then we are following Satan. There's no middle ground. You're either pursuing Christ or not. And if you're not, you're doing exactly what Satan wants you to do. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, for 50 years. Some, we have some in this room who have been a believer that long. I haven't quite, but uh, if you've been a believer for 50 years, it doesn't matter. You still can be following Satan unless you're intentionally following the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter. The guy who would walk on water, the guy who would uh, speak, the guy who God used to heal people of diseases and preach and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was rebuked by Jesus because he was acting like Satan. You're either following Christ or you're following the other guy. We need to follow Christ. And then Jesus said, Peter, you, you don't understand the things of God, but the things that be of men. Peter was focusing on the things that be of men. We have Christians today who are obsessed about politics. Shame on you. 
politics are important, but not nearly as important as Jesus. Your obsession should be Jesus. We have people who are obsessed about money. Shame on you. Shame on them, those people out there, not any of us, right? Uh, that your, your obsession should be about Jesus Christ. You can do with very little money and get by because you have Jesus Christ. We should be obsessed with him. And politically, I think we do a whole lot better if Christians spent more time praying for their government than fussing about their government. I think it would be better all the way around. Verse 33, verse 34. So Jesus called the disciples unto him. I'm sorry, he called the people unto him with his disciples. So how many were his disciples? Well, he sent out 12, and then he sent out another 70. So he had a big group of disciples, 12 of whom were called apostles. And he gathers them together, and then he calls all the people around. And, and so a crowd gathers around. Crowds often follow Jesus, and a crowd's gathered around. And Jesus is now going to share something that everybody needs to hear. The disciples who were up close and everybody else, they all need to hear this. And if you have a red-letter edition, the next few verses are in red. Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. That means if you live just so you can have a comfortable life on earth, your best life now, if that's your goal in life is a comfortable life on earth, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss your life. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Okay, this is not talking about suicide or anything like that. This is talking about people who are confirmed that what Jesus said is true. And so they're going to serve and witness for him, even if witnessing for him leads to their death. There, are more, there have been more Christians put to death in this century since 2000 than in the first century. More believers put to death for their faith. And in, in communist countries, in Muslim countries, it's a crime to witness for Christ. And Christians still do because they answer to Jesus. And if they give their life away serving him, it's a blessing. They get reward in heaven. Whoso shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. Verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Deep down inside of you, there's something called your soul. A body, God actually presents in Scripture, the body, soul, and spirit, that your soul is that part of you that we would call your mind, your heart, your will, the decision-making process, your conscience, that's part of your soul. And when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your spirit, which was dead, is made alive. And, and so you now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. And you also have this body that you live in. But you are walking with the Lord. And, 
and, and the Holy Spirit's working with you. And deep down in your soul, that inner part, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what's the benefit? <clears throat> I appreciate what some multi-billionaires have done. They have given huge amounts of money to, to charity. One of the wealthiest men in the world for the last 15, 20 years, he has given huge amounts to charity, but he is absolutely antagonistic toward Christianity. He does not know, trust, or follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He has uh, earned billions. He has given away billions and earned more billions and someday, he's going to stand before God empty. And a person who struggled, maybe in their whole life, never got $1,000. But they loved Jesus Christ and followed him. Then in the life to come, the man who was the billionaire who rejected Christ, who had the whole world but neglected his soul, he loses out. He ends up ultimately in hell and the lake of fire. But the one who had financially almost nothing, he ends up with the Lord and eternal reward. Asaph wrote a psalm about that. He saw how well the, the, the wealthy were prospering and the godly were suffering. And, and he said, is there a point to following Jesus? And then the turning point in that psalm, Asaph says, then understood I their end. I remembered the end of life. And the end of your life on earth, you are in the presence of Jesus who is going to reward you as a believer for your faithfulness or condemn you as an unbeliever for rejecting him. So Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, it's not worth it because you've lost your soul. Verse 36, uh, verse 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When the Lord comes for us. Jump back. To verse 34, Jesus said, whosoever will come after me. We are called to be faithful. If you're going to follow Christ, here's some things you need to do. What's the first one? Deny yourself. There's a price to be paid. You need to deny yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that, oh, you know what? My dentist says I should brush my teeth and floss to take care of my teeth and gums but I'm going to deny myself and let my teeth rot and fall out. All right? This doesn't mean that uh, the, the doctor says you're supposed to take care of your body and exercise and, and eat healthfully, but no, 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 you are going to deny yourself. So it's donuts and Twinkies for the rest of your life. Uh, it'd be a short life, by the way. Um, but no, that's not what he's talking about. By denying it yourself, he's not saying... Don't do anything good for your body. He's saying, disregard yourself. Do not focus on yourself or pay attention to your own drives and desires. See, the popular evangelical message 
of Christianity today is that God wants you to be happy. God wants you to feel fulfilled. God wants you to be comfortable. And that is not the biblical message of Christianity. See, enjoying today is not on God's agenda for you. Ministering today, serving today, that's on God's agenda. And it takes more work to turn away from your own wants and desires and look out and care for others. Uh, we all have a little bit of FOMO. FOMO is fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out. We all have a little bit of that, right? I mean, uh, my older sister can track in on multiple conversations like no one I've ever seen. But we, we, had, we were at her house, and there were several of us in several rooms, and she was going tip, 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 trying to keep in on every conversation that was going on so she wouldn't miss out on any of it. And, and so a couple of our conversations, we caught on to that. And we started talking about total nonsense stuff. As soon as she would show up, we'd talk about what we hadn't been talking about. As soon as she left, we went back to our conversation. <laughs> it drove her a little nuts. But there are believers today who think, man, their life will be just so much better if they get that new truck, that new car, that new job. Sadly, even believers today, their wife will be, life will be so much better if they get that new spouse or that new church instead of being faithful to the one where they are. See, if we don't give up our life, if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't choose to allow ourselves to miss out on certain things, then we are going to miss out on the most important things. Uh, God wants you to deliberately and intentionally choose to miss out on things of this world, on the pleasures and activities of this world, so that you can focus on the glory and joy of the world to come. Deny yourself. Secondly, what did he say? First thing was deny yourself. What was the second one back in verse 34? Take up your cross. I can't see whether you're wearing jewelry or not. Some of you might be wearing a cross. That's not what he was talking about. Not wear it, dangle cross earrings, not the cross around your neck. That's not taking up your cross. See, in their culture, there was never such a thing as a beautiful looking cross. What was the cross in their culture? It was the most brutal method of execution known to man in that day. It was horrific. It was painful. It was embarrassing. When you see pictures of Jesus on the cross, he always has some garment on, but that's not how they crucified people. They were naked. They were in pain and agony. They had been beaten. Their backs had been stripped of flesh and uh, just drugged cat of nine tails whipped over and over across their back to, to open it up to the, and then they'd rub against the raw of that wood in just painful, horrible agony. That was the cross. And so in their culture, they did everything they could to avoid the cross. Jewish 
people living in Roman occupied Israel, Rome occupied Israel in that day, the Roman government. And so when a Jewish person walked by a Roman soldier, they would not look at him. They definitely would not want to get eye contact with him because if they got eye contact with him, then they'd be afraid that soldier would then tell them to do something and it would be painful and it would hurt. So they would avoid that. And the, the cross was something to be despised, something to stay away from, something to avoid. In fact, some of the Jews even got in the habit when someone was put to death, they would stand around the foot of the cross and make fun of the person being put to death. There was a mockery of that person's life because most of the time it was a criminal, a, a thief, a murderer. Uh, but Jesus said, take up your cross. It was a well-known symbol of intense suffering, not of happy ministry. It wasn't a, hey, you guys want to go have a blast with kids and the Good News Club, and it's so fun. It is fun, but it's a lot of work. I, I take that by testimony of Meredith and Megan. I, I haven't served in that ministry I quite happily go home and pick Anna up from school so Megan can serve in that ministry. And then, hopefully I got the names right. Anyway, um, I do serve in Awana. And we had 20 middle schoolers in our first night of Awana, 18 uh, this last week, 18 middle school kids. And I love it. I enjoy it. I helped with the games. I then taught the lesson. I then helped in a group. By the end of the night, I was pretty whooped. We rode home. I was tired. But it's a good kind of tired. Because we were doing something that helped, that ministered, that made a difference. And Katya is the only person I know who comes to Awana tired and gets more energized when she's leaving. <laughs> it's just it's fun. It is fun. We all, if you can work in it and you're not, you're missing a blessing. But take up your cross is about a duty, it's about a burden, and it's about a sacrifice. Dr. M. R. DeHaan was a medical doctor. He had a very successful medical practice, uh, but as he grew in his relationship with Christ, he felt the Holy Spirit of God leading him to become a pastor. So he sold his medical practice, went back to school. He'd already gone to school and earned his doctorate. He went back to school and back to seminary and graduated in 1925. He pastored, and then he had a heart attack in 1936. That didn't slow him down. He just kept laboring and toiling. In 1938, he had another heart attack, and it, enabled, or it made him not able to continue pastoring. So he still wanted to serve God, so he kept teaching. And then his teaching became popular, so he, he started doing it on the radio. He founded Radio Bible Class, and that started going well, and then he started producing Our Daily Bread. 27 years after the second heart attack, which caused him to leave the pastorate, he was still serving God daily, challenging and encouraging people to trust and follow Jesus Christ. M.R. DeHaan said this, to come to Christ cost you nothing. To follow Christ costs you something. To serve Christ costs you everything. 
Jesus said. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Not somebody else's cross. Your cross. Occasionally, I meet with people who've had a very hard life. Kathy and I, uh, a couple times, were in ministry together in Cuba, and uh, the Cuban people and the difficulties they had, and, and one lady trying to fix a meal for 20 people with a hot plate. That was it, a hot plate. And she rotated pans in and off of that hot plate, and we had a great meal. Some people have a much more difficult life than you do. It doesn't mean intentionally try and make your life really difficult. But it does mean as the Holy Spirit of God leads you in your ministry, you take up your cross. And it may be worse than anybody around you, but you take your cross and follow him. The third thing, follow him. Follow him. What do we follow? Well, in verse 25 or 35, we follow his teaching. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. We're following his teaching, his instruction, his, what he communicated to us. In fact, Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples and baptize them and then teach them to observe everything that I have taught you, to communicate what he taught. And so Jesus, we're learning from his teaching. We're also learning from his values. See, in his value system, the wealth of the entire world is worth less than one soul. So in his value system, if you reach someone for Christ, that's more than the value of the world. That if you intentionally choose maybe to work a little less, so you earn a little less, so you can serve a little more and make a difference in people's lives. To Jesus, that's a great exchange. That's a profitable uh, transition so that you're earning less than you could have, so that you're doing more than you otherwise could have in ministry. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I was talking to my dad. Somebody in our church had got a promotion and, and was moving away to this other town and and I remember asking my dad about it, and I said, how does he know it's God's will? And my dad said, with kind of a laugh, he said, son, most of the time, when you get more money, it's God's will. At least that's the way people perceive it. I know that my dad is not perfect by any stretch, but we were raised to not value money, to value serving God. And I saw multiple times my dad turned down a job that would have been um, a strain on our family or on his ministry. He would have made way more money, but he turned it down without a second thought because he wanted to focus on helping us follow the Lord. Not an ideal dad. He would well say that. But he made an impact on my life to my value of money. And Jesus said, in his value system, what you do for him is worth more than if you can gain the whole world. In Jesus' value system, we're willing to sacrifice. In Jesus' value system, we love people who hate us, people who despise us, 
people who intentionally abuse us, and we try and show Christ's love to those people. That's Jesus' value system. We also want to learn not just from his teaching and not just his values, but his boldness. See, in verse 38, Jesus said, If you're ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and gen sinful generation, I'll be embarrassed by you uh, when I come. Jesus said, don't be embarrassed. Jesus repeatedly was brought before public officials and they required him to deny his message and he would not. He went to the cross affirming the truth of the message of God and the message that he had come to deliver. And we need just a little bit of Jesus' boldness because there are believers who are afraid to witness for Christ because somebody else might be offended. Jesus was more concerned that his father be offended. And in fact, in verse 38, Jesus said, you got two options. You can witness for me in an uncomfortable situation and I'll be proud of you, or you can be embarrassed and I'll be embarrassed by you. Those are your only options. We need to learn his boldness, that we're willing to speak up, to stand up, to be accounted. I, I can remember a couple of times when I've been with a big group of people. Um, the very first time, I was a fairly new Christian. Um, I was getting ready to go in the Marine Corps, and I was working a graveyard shift janitor's, janitor job, a graveyard shift for a couple of weeks before I went in the Marine Corps. My dad accepted the job for me when I was gone because he thought I was getting lazy. And so I went every night. I worked for 10 hours uh, every night. And uh, I can remember about 2 o'clock in the morning when we had our lunch break, uh, dad, these guys started having this theological discussion. And there were guys from all different... There was guys who were part of the Mormon... Of faith, there were people who were part of the New Apostolic and Catholic and all these different groups, all of whom say they follow Jesus, and, and they were talking, and they were share some things, and I'd say, but, but that's not what the Bible said. I just started studying the Bible, and, and I can remember one night telling them, I know that's not what the Bible says, and one of them handed me a Bible and said, show me. I said, I can't show you tonight, but I'll show you tomorrow night, and I'd go home, and I'd get a strong concordance, and sometimes I'd talk to my dad, and once I had to call my pastor and ask him, and I'd search these things out, and then I'd go back, and I'd say, here's what the Bible says. And I learned not to be embarrassed to stand up for Jesus Christ. I was the youngest guy in that whole crew. I was the newest guy. Most of them were there long term. I was just filling in for two weeks while another guy was on vacation. And, but I had the opportunity to share God's truth with them. And I, as a business manager, there were times when it was uncomfortable to speak up for Christ. When someone asked me in front of the owner of our company, who happened to be Jewish, asked me, um, why did I think it was so important to trust Jesus Christ? And I had to share that if you don't trust Christ, you go to hell. My boss was right there, the owner of the company. And I'm saying, if you keep in the faith you're in right now, you'll end up in hell. It was a little 
awkward. But we need to speak up. We need to have boldness. Now, I shared two ones where I did. I could share with you dozens where I didn't, where I hesitated, and then the moment was lost. Have boldness. Speak up for Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. And one of the things we really need to follow more than anything else is his love. See, back in verse 31, he said, listen, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be put to death. And he said, but I'm going to do it anyway. And in Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because Jesus and Father and the Spirit so love us that he was willing to pay that price. And we need to follow his love because there's a price to be paid. To come to Christ costs you nothing. To follow Christ costs you something. To genuinely serve Christ costs you everything. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. You are called to be faithful. So how's that working for you? If I had a spiritual mirror that I could turn around and you could see your heart the way God sees your heart, would you see a smile on the Lord's face because you're faithful? Or would you see sorrow on his face because you're not. You're called to be faithful. As we, we celebrate uh, Labor Day, the greatest labor is the labor of love you have for the Lord and for the people he loves as you put your life out there for him. You deny yourself you take up your cross and you follow him. That's what we're called to do. And by God's grace, that's what we can do. You have that capacity and I have that capacity. And when, when we do, lives are changed. You and I can point to people in our past that had a profound spiritual impact in our lives because they denied themselves took up their cross, and followed him. Kathy's going to come and play a song, and in a moment we'll sing it. Jim, you can come on up, and, and we'll sing in a moment, I gave my life for thee. But before we do that, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, look at your heart, look at your life, ask yourself honestly, am I denying myself? Am I taking up my cross? Am I following him? Just those three questions. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're here this morning and you've never asked him to forgive your sins and be your Savior, you need to do that today. If you have asked him, you need to ask yourself, am I denying myself? Am I taking up my cross? Or am I following him? 